Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great is His steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Let's do it a couple more times here. Somebody else? Joe, you, are you there yet? Yeah. Will you read it, stand up and read it out loud for us? Jesus, will you stand up and read it for us? Praise the Lord, all nations, exalt him, all peoples, for grace is steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we are so thankful for your word. Lord, that we could see a glimpse into your character and your person. Eternal God that inhabits eternity. And yet desires to dwell with your people. Lord, I pray that we would be humble this morning, contrite in heart, that we would lean into your word and see all the blessings of Christ Jesus that are yes and amen in this passage. That we get to praise you and we get to extol you because of your steadfast love and your eternal faithfulness. We thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that if there are people listening this morning that have not yet experienced your great, steadfast love, that, Lord, today it would click in their hearts. That they would give up the rebellion. That they would run toward you. Lord, I pray that if there are people this morning that are wavering in their trust or their faith in you, that they would be reminded of your eternal faithfulness. And Lord, for us as a church, that we would continue to be committed to leveraging our lives toward the end of the missionary task among all the nations. For the sake of your name. We love you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. I first learned this quote in 2012 when I got sent to the northeast part of India. I was in college and I went with a group of four other young men and we were given the task of going through these mountain villages looking for believers who had trusted in Jesus and then anybody else, we were to proclaim the gospel to them as we went. We were there for about four months and we went out on hiking trips for about three weeks at a time and we would just hike from village to village to village. We'd slept in people's kitchens and barns and underneath all kinds of different stuff. We were looking for worshipers. 
worshipers of Yahweh. Closer to the road that we started on, we found a couple of villages that had a church planted there. One church in a village called Junabadi. The, the church was planted there in the late 1700s by Finnish missionaries. There were no Christians. We went on a little bit further, about 10 more miles around the mountain. We asked this man, have you heard of Jesus? And through translation, he said, I think that he lives on the other side of the mountain over there. I've never met him, but I've heard that he lives maybe in that other village. And what we began to see everywhere was that everyone was worshiping. There were idols and there were uh, Buddhist cleansing bowls in every home. There were even uh, monasteries built up on the top of these mountains where families would send in their five-year-old boys to, to begin to learn how to be a monk, to minister to the needs of the villages and collect money from each family in the villages. They were all worshiping. But there were very few worshiping God. Very few had heard the gospel. And I kind of expected to go and everyone to just love that we were there and begin to receive the gospel and change. But that wasn't the case. They loved their worshiped. They loved their household idols and gods. It was during this time that I learned that phrase, missions exist because worship doesn't. I was able to read through the entire Bible in that four months, beginning to end, and I'd never done that before in my life. In a small time frame, read cover to cover. I read through Let the Nations Be Glad and a book called Radical. And what began to happen in my worldview and in my heart was that I began to see God's purpose in the world. It was worship. From the very beginning, God has been after worship. He created people to worship. He created the universe so that we would worship. That's the answer to the question, why are we here? Have anybody ever met somebody asking that question? Why am I here? You're here to worship God. God has been about this from the beginning. And even before the beginning, as you read through different parts in the New Testament, like Ephesians, it says before the foundations of the world, he was at work to bring about glory from himself, from his people. God has been about this for a long time. So if there's one thing that I want you to hold on today, it's this. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And those who have been captured by the great love of God want nothing more than to worship and see the nation's worship. So if you're taking notes, this is this is the heart of the message today. It's that those who have been captured by the great love of God want nothing more than to worship and see the nation's worship. Want nothing more than to worship and see their families worship and their church worship and their neighbors worship. 
People that have been captured by the great love of God. This begins to change every part of their life. So today, brothers and sisters, I want to walk through three reasons why CBC should continue to devote herself to the missionary task from Psalm 117. Three reasons why CBC, Central Baptist Church, should continue to devote herself to the missionary task. And the first one we're going to see in verse 1 is that we have a great goal. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. So what is this great goal that we have? CBC, we leverage our lives toward the missionary task because we have a great goal. God's praise among all the nations and all the peoples. That's the goal. And it is a great goal. Listen to this. It says two verbs. It says praise and extol. That's the command in this verse. It says praise, extol. Who's the recipient of the praise? Yahweh and Him. Yahweh, the the originator of all things, the creator, the, the one who is. He's the one who is to be receiving praise. And who is being called to do the praising? All nations and all peoples. This has been God's plan from the beginning that all the nations would praise Him. Even from the very beginning when He created Adam and Eve. He put them in the garden and He said, Be fruitful and multiply. We learn about Adam and Eve that they were created in the image of God to reflect the glory of God. And God wanted them to spread over all of the earth that His glory might be over all places and among all peoples. That was God's goal from the beginning, to create the world out of love and out of a goal to worship, have worship in worshipers. And then Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God's plan and they grasped the autonomy for themselves. And they said, we want to be in charge of ourselves. And ultimately, they shifted their worship from Godward to self. We are the center of creation. We want to be like God. Then Abraham, God comes to Abraham. He gives him this this great promise through your descendants. Abraham, I will bless all the nations. And pretty soon, Abraham decides to take control of the situation. And again, he, he doesn't trust God. This is the story of the Bible all the way through that we see the the plan of God that all the nations. We we read about at the beginning of our first Kings study when Solomon is dedicating the temple. He says, God, keep your eye on Israel that we might complete the task that you've given us to do that all the nations might worship you. In Psalm 67, we hear the call go out from God's people. God, be gracious to us and bless us and make your face shine upon us so that your way and your salvation may be known among all the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So this has been God's plan from the beginning. And Jesus was no different, right? He came as a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. And at the end of his life, actually the beginning of his new life, he says, go make disciples of all the nations. And when you look at that verse, what Jesus told his disciples to do, go make disciples among all the nations. It's the same word that we see here in Psalm 117, verse one, the nations. 
It's the same idea. Nations and the second word tribes or peoples there is tribes. All nations and all tribes. These two different Hebrew words for um, people groups or subsects of people that are by themselves. They have their own language, religion, geography. And God desires praise from every single one of those little groups all around the world. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, we get to hear this. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So here's my point. This is God's plan. Worship from all the nations. Do you see it? Like that's God's goal. And if you go all the way to the end in Revelation chapter 7, what do we see? Every tribe, every tongue, every nation worshiping the lame who was slain, who redeemed for himself a people from all these different people groups. So what's the state of the world right now? When it comes to this psalm being fulfilled among all the nations. In China, there are about 545 different nations or ethnic groups. So China is one nation, one country or nation. But inside of China, there are 545 different nations or ethnic groups or people groups. Out of those 545 ethnic groups, there are 441 of them that are still unreached with the gospel. There's not praise going out from among those 441 out of 545. In Nepal, there are about 269 distinct ethnic groups with 258 of them unreached with the gospel that are not obeying this psalm. In India... 2,373 distinct people, ethnic groups, distinct nations inside of one nation. Out of those 2,373, there are 2,135 nations unreached with the gospel. No praise, no extolling. They bow down every day and they worship a statue or an idol that looks like an elephant or a cow. That's the state of our world. Right now, there are about 7,000 of these people groups around the world that have no access to the gospel, no gospel presence among them. And they make up about two and a half billion people on our world. Out of the eight billion people, two and a half to three billion people live among a people group that are unreached and have no access to the gospel. In the United States alone, there are about 17 million unreached people. 17 million. So that's if you take Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, South Dakota, and North Dakota, and you put them all together, and there's no gospel witness. Or very little. Can you imagine if that was happening in our own country? What would we do? We'd do something about it, wouldn't we? Well, it is 17 million people in our own country that have no gospel among them. 
Let me give you a picture of what it would look like to live and be a part of an unreached people group. You would be born and you would grow up and you would walk around your town or your village your entire life and you would never hear the gospel. You would never meet a Christian. You would never see a Bible and then you would die. And then you would be justly separated from God for your sin for eternity without ever even getting the chance to hear the gospel from a believer's mouth or maybe even a radio station or something like that. That's the state of our world. When we read, praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. 7,000 people groups. What's he calling them to do? These nations of the world, all the nations of the world, all 17,000 nations of the world. He's calling them to praise, to cheer or to give thanks. We're pretty good at cheering and giving thanks, right? Adonis covenants with Central Baptist Church. And what does the church do? It erupts in praise, right? Praise God. Cheering. The second verb there is extol. And that is to glorify with words or to commend with words. And so where praise is like an emotional response of like cheering and yelling and screaming and clapping. Extolment is this verbal response to something. And it comes out of our mouth and we talk about how amazing and great and glorious is Yahweh, our God. Now. The problem isn't that people don't know how to worship, right? People, the problem isn't that people don't know how to praise and extol. There's plenty of that going on around the world, right? We live in the best football city in the entire world. Kansas City knows how to praise and extol, right? We just have our, our praise and extolment pointed at the wrong thing. The, the nations, they know how to praise and extol around the world. There's football players and singers and religious gurus that receive praise and extolment from people everywhere. So the problem isn't a worship problem. Everyone knows how to worship. The problem is the direction of our worship. The command here isn't just to praise or isn't just to extol. It's to praise God. To praise the Lord for what He has done. And the problem is that Romans 1 tells us that the nations and you and me would rather praise creation rather than the Creator. Even though God created us to worship Him, we would rather worship a cow than the Almighty God of the universe. We would rather worship a person throwing a pigskin around. We'd rather worship ourselves. We'd rather worship food, we would rather worship money, we would rather worship safety than God, because we suppress the truth about who God is. His creation is telling us about who he is, and we ignore that and we turn our worship to something else. So people don't have a worship problem, they have the direction of their worship problem. And the psalm is about to tell us what is going to change the direction of worship among the nations. What's going to cause people to look up and worship Yahweh? 
Right now around the world, billions are giving their praise to booty, Buddha, booty, Buddha. All right, the next one on my list is Gandhi. All right, Buddha and Gandhi right next to each other. Okay. Buddha, Gandhi, Muhammad, Patrick Mahomes, LeBron James, and Taylor Swift. And, and, and we're, we're not unused to that, right? To hearing the praise and extolment of these people. Brothers and sisters, the vision of our church, magnify, mature, multiply. We as a church, we're, we exist to magnify or to worship and extol. Magnify is kind of like both of those words put together. We're, we're seeking to live a life that focuses in on and shows the bigness and greatness of who God is and what he's done. And that's the first part of this psalm. It's saying magnify. Psalm 34, 3 says, come, magnify the Lord with me. Because I want to tell you about everything that he's done. And so we exist as a church to magnify. And we exist to bring others into seeing the greatness and glory of God on full display so that they can magnify with us. So what can change the hearts of people to stop worshiping themselves and start worshiping God alone? Look at verse two. We have a great motivation, a great motivation. It says for or because great is his steadfast love toward us. So, brothers and sisters, as we go out to call the nations to praise, we go out and we say, praise Yahweh, praise God, praise the Lord, all nations and all peoples. And they're like, why? How many Super Bowl rings does your God have? And you're like, that's not even a question. You wouldn't even have grass to play football on if my God wouldn't have created the grass or the pig that you got the skin off of to create your football. But it goes further than that, right? It says, not just because he's the creator, and we see plenty of places in Scripture that we worship God for creating to be the originator. But here we're seeing that the reason why the nations are going to praise and extol God is for what? His steadfast love toward us. Shay and I both work in sales. And you need some motivation in sales, right? You need some good motivation. You need motivation to keep selling and you need motivation for people to keep buying. It's two-way street, all right? And in this psalm, God has given us all the motivation that we need for this two-way street. Our motivation for bringing the nations to praise God is his steadfast love toward us. And our motivation when we call other people into praise of God is his steadfast love is great toward us. And when you look somebody in the eyes, you say, for great is his steadfast love toward us. And that's just not me. That's you as well. And this is a reason for worship. And then we begin to explain what this looks like. So let's break this down. It says, Because, so this is answering the question, why do you praise for great? 
is his steadfast love toward us. So this word, Samuel got to talk it through with us last week. Hesed. His loyal, covenant-keeping, unbreakable love toward us. And it says that it's great. So I want to just break down this word for a moment, great. So we use great a lot. Like, that steak was great. The chiefs are great. No more chiefs, all right? We're done with that. (laughs) The hike was great. But when we see this word great here, this word great it, it, it shows up other places in the Old Testament, like in Noah's flood. And it says the floodwaters were great over the face of the earth. The great flood. And so it carries this sense of prevailing or overwhelming. It's kind of like flood versus earth. Flood destroys. Flood wins. It shows up in other places Like in Jonah, he's mad that God has relented from his anger against Nineveh. And he says, I knew you, God. I knew about you. I know that your love is great and you forgive people. He's angry that God has relented and his, God's great love has come to Nineveh and overwhelmed the city. The worst city in the world and God brought love. His loving kindness to Nineveh. This idea of prevailing is like one army against another army. And when the prevailing army shows up, they just crush the other army. And this says that God's love is great toward us. So when you showed up on the battlefield with God, God's love was great toward you. That means it it overwhelms you and it comes after you. It prevails over even your rebellion. That's what God's love is like toward you. Right after the 2001 terrorist attacks on September 11th, George Bush gave a speech that included some kind of wording like this in response to the Horrendous attacks on the United States of America and its people. We will respond with great and overwhelming force and we will crush out evil. Brothers and sisters. The psalmist here is saying that when you rebelled against God, God responded with great and overwhelming force against your rebellion But it wasn't to squash you and destroy you. It was to show his hesed, his steadfast love toward you. His steadfast love toward the rebel, the rebels, the rebellion. Everyone has rebelled against God, Adam and Eve. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Saul, David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, Jonah. And we see God's patient love moving forward, marching forward, right? Marching, 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 overwhelming along the way. 
God's patient, steadfast love, bringing about His plan for God's glory among all the nations. And it isn't just everybody else who's rebelled, right? Everyone sitting in this room is a rebel against the authority and goodness and grace and mercy and love of God. In fact, we live that life from the beginning of rebellion toward God. We want to push off his authority. To make this hit a little bit more direct from the New Testament. What does it mean that his love is great toward us? Here's a few passages in John 3, 16. He says, but God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's response to your rebellion was God loved the world so much that he sent his son. Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God demonstrated his great love toward us in this, that while you are still a sinner, a rebel, an enemy. God demonstrated his love in this way that Christ died for you, the godly for the ungodly, the righteous for sinners. And he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Second Corinthians 521. First John chapter four. In this, the love of God was made known among us. Listen to this. This is how the love of God was made known among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God first, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a or the propitiation for our sins. So God takes our rebellion. He sends Jesus and he pays for our sin. The trade out his life for mine. His great love toward us. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who, who, who loved me. Who loved me. And gave himself for me. Why do the nations praise, brothers and sisters? Because great prevailing against your sin and my sin and your rebellion and my rebellion is his steadfast love toward us. Praise God. But God being rich, rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even while we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. In Titus chapter three, but when the goodness and loving kindness, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So why do we praise brothers and sisters? Because his great Love is toward us. And we didn't deserve it. Do you hear that? We, we didn't deserve his great love. That's why we're praising. It's like we had no hope. 
And instead of just kind of pushing us off to the side, he came after us. He sent his son to die for us. Friends, we have all the motivation we need, don't we? To, to bring the nations to proclaim and to tell them why they should proclaim. We also have a great motivator, and this is a hidden Easter egg of Psalm 117. This is a, Psalm 113 through 118 are called the Hillel Psalms or the Egyptian Hillel Psalms. And at Passover every year, they would, they would sing these psalms before and after the Passover meal. Half before and half after. And so the nation or the nation of Israel has been singing these psalms for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And then there's one Passover night. This psalm is on the lips of Jesus. In Mark chapter 14, verse 26, it says, And when they had gone out, they sang a hymn or a psalm. And so most people think... Scholars would agree that they were singing the psalms before dinner. And then after dinner, they're finishing up with Psalm 116, 117, and 118. And so while Jesus is on the way to be betrayed, He's singing, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great is His steadfast love toward us. And His faithfulness endures forever. He's singing this on his way to the cross. Do we not have a great motivation and a great motivator that Jesus would sing, praise the Lord, everyone. And then Jesus is the point in which God's steadfast love is coming to earth and breaking through so that the nations could actually praise him. It's amazing. If you read through all of these Psalms and you think about it in a way of Jesus walking to the cross to give himself it changes the way you read these psalms. It's amazing. If Jesus could sing this psalm on the way to die for the sins of the world, do you think that we could sing this psalm on the way to Aldi? Or on the way to family worship at night? Or on the way to uh, family Thanksgiving next month? Or on the way to the Halloween outreach next week or two weeks from now? on the way to Walmart, on the way to your job? Could you sing, praise the Lord, all nations, extol Him, all peoples, for great is His steadfast love toward me and His faithfulness is forever. Praise the Lord. What a motivator. Thank you, Jesus. He's singing about the nations on His way to the cross. And one more place. What, what, this really sums up for me. Why... why Missions exist because worship doesn't. If you just real quick look at Romans chapter 15, verses 8 through 11. This is the one place that this psalm is directly quoted in the New Testament. Romans chapter 15. So Paul has just finished this. Uh, 14 chapter uh, exposition of telling the Jew and Gentile believers in Rome that they, they must, they must love and submit to one another because of the gospel. There is no other option. 
That if the gospel is true, then you must love and submit to one another. And that's not the end goal of the church. is isn't just love and uh, kumbaya. Paul's saying it's going somewhere. So get together and then come on. And this is where he begins to change direction of the, the book of Romans is 15 verse 8. He says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness or faithfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And look at verse 9. And in order that the nations or Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy or his hesed. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the nations and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And then verse 11, this is where Psalm 117 is quoted. Praise the Lord, all you nations, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the nations, in him will the nations hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Paul is saying that Jesus came as a servant to confirm the promises given to the Jews and so that the nations might glorify God for his mercy. And what did Jesus send us out to do? Keep proclaiming mercy. So then the problem is that the nations, many of them, they haven't even yet heard the gospel. And Paul says that a little bit earlier in Romans 10. Well over 2 billion people in the world have no access and have never heard of the hesed or steadfast love of God. Paul says in Romans 10, he says, And how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. A lot of you just got done with Fusion Youth Weekend, right? Raise your hand if you were at Fusion Youth Weekend. Look at that. That's awesome. So you guys have been already hearing this, right? The nations must hear because God deserves praise among all peoples and all places. And the motivation we have for going is the gospel. That God is the holy, righteous creator. And we're accountable to him. But man, from the beginning, rebellion. Rebellion, rebellion. All have sinned. There is no one righteous. No, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. But God demonstrated his love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ, the sufficient Savior, fully God and fully man, came to take our place. He became sin who knew knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And what's man's response? Humility. Me? Do you know what I've done? 
Do you know what I thought? Do you know my motives to get the things that I want to get in my life? Do you know the the times I've manipulated my parents and my friends? The times I've cheated? The times I've stolen? The times I've envied? You don't know me. Great is God's love toward you. No, no, no. You You don't know me. There's no way that God could die for me. God would never do that. God's too too above that. Great is his love toward you that he sent his only son. The only lasting motivator for missions is a right, correct, and full understanding of the gospel, brothers and sisters. The only lasting motivator. And we have a great lasting motivator in the gospel, don't we? The steadfast love of God. So how does this go with our church mission statement? We are to mature, brothers and sisters. And what is the the center point or the focal point of our maturing? It should be that we grow in depth and learning and understanding and experience of the great love of God toward you and me. That is the center point of what we are to mature in. And when you think that you've kind of got to the point of like, I understand God's love. Yeah, it's big, it's great, it's eternal, east, west. You know, we sing about it, his mercy is more. I've got it. I know that God's love is great toward me. And then Paul shows up in Ephesians chapter 3 and he says, God, my prayer is that you would make the Ephesians know the greatness of your surpassing love toward them. The love of God that surpasses knowledge. We We haven't arrived yet, have we? There's more to know about the love of God toward us. And that's maturity. Maturity is bound up in deep humility based on gospel understanding. And knowledge can drive us toward that. We, the more you know about God and the more you know about your sin, it, it should drive you to the cross. It should drive you to Christ. But if you have a bunch of knowledge and you have no humility and no understanding of the steadfast love of God toward you, you will be like a 1 Corinthians 13 knowledge head that resounds and makes a lot of noise and there's no love inside of you. So we have a great goal. Praise among all the nations. We have a great motivation, the steadfast love of God. And number three, we have a great hope, brothers and sisters. Look at... Uh, 117b, the second part of Psalm 117, verse 2. This is the, also the second reason for praise, but I think even this morning for us, it's the, it's the great hope that we have. It says, and the faithfulness or the trustworthiness of Yahweh endures forever. Anybody ever watch Sandlot growing up? Okay, they're in the treehouse, right? And there's like, they're cooking marshmallows over candles or something like that. And one of the Sandlot guys is, isn't it Sandlot? Right? Forever. You guys remember that, right? He just says it over and over. Forever. And I don't know anything about what's going on in that scene. But I know that whenever I see in the Word... Like something about God is forever. I think of that kid in Sandlot teaching me about God's character. Forever. His faithfulness is forever. 
So why does this give us a great hope? Why does this give us a great hope? Because the results of the praise of the nations are in the hands of God. We don't have to like sit around being anxious. Can we do it? Can we give enough money? Can we go to enough places? No, we just get to live out in daily faithfulness. Every single day we wake up, we, we, we abide with the Lord in his word. We pray, we humble ourselves, we repent, we love. And then we are obedient to the first verse. All day long, what are we doing? Praise God, extol God. And when you do that on a daily basis, God's faithfulness will be made known in your life. So we have a great hope because the faithfulness of the Lord is everlasting or eternal or goes on forever. So if you're looking for something to build your life on, to cling to, to trust in, it is this. Our God is trustworthy. His faithfulness never ends. There is no expiration date on God's faithfulness or trustworthiness. That's good news, right? You ever got some milk out of the fridge and you trusted the date on the milk? You pour the, in your cereal or your cup and you drink it and it is just rotten? It's, just, it's a horrible experience, right? Brothers and sisters, that will never happen to you with God. Because he's, His faithfulness is forever. It's eternal. He'll never stop being faithful. And how come we can't just get on the ship, right? Why do we every single day question? Now, God, I know that you've told me like 18,000 times in your word that you're faithful forever. He's faithful forever. Perfect in love. Like we sing about it, right? And yet we wake up in the morning bent toward not trusting that his faithfulness is forever. Let me draw out a few implications of God's Eternal faithfulness for us. So the first one is all tribes will worship. He will finish the task. And we see this all the way at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 and 10. We see that God will finish the task. He is faithful. He will surely do it. The second thing that we can hold on to from God's Eternal faithfulness is this, that we will be with the Lord forever. If you are in Christ, you will be with the Lord forever. Listen to this from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For we, for this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We will always be with the Lord. Why? Because his faithfulness endures forever. If you're having a bad day. I don't know if anybody else does this, but sometimes when I'm having a bad day or I'm thinking about like a, uh, something I have to make a decision about, I'm like, what's the worst thing that can happen? 
Anybody else do that? Like, what's the worst outcome of this, whatever I'm trying to make a decision about? And I often come back to this. We will always be with the Lord, no matter what happens here. What did Paul say in Philippians chapter 1? His mindset on life was, all right, okay, I've got two options. To live is for the sake of Christ, and to die is gain. And that's how I'm going to live my life every day. If I'm alive, I I live for Christ. And if I'm not alive anymore, I'm with the Lord. (laughs) Great options on both sides. Let's go. And that's how we're to live when we know that his steadfast love is toward us and his or his uh, faithfulness is forever. We just run toward obedience and faithfulness and praise and extolling because he's faithful and trustworthy. And the third implication. And now that I read it, it might be too much like the second one, but I'll give it to you anyway. That when the rest of your life seems to be crumbling, God will never change. He's a steadfast and everlasting rock, like it says in Isaiah chapter 26, verses three and four. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord is an everlasting rock. Brothers and sisters, we tend to grab onto so many other things that we think will comfort us. And Isaiah says, all other ground is sinking sand. Food, sinking sand. Entertainment, sinking sand. Money, sinking sand. Good education, sinking sand. A beautiful, well put together family that you can control and make them do whatever you want to do. Sinking sand. Trust in the Lord forever, for he is an everlasting rock. And then read the very end of verse 2 with me. Praise the Lord. It leads us all the way back to the beginning, right? And I think God did this on purpose. It's a big cycle. Praise the Lord, all peoples. Extol Him, all nations. Why? Because of His steadfast love toward us. Because His faithfulness is forever. And then we're reminded of of those things. We're just brought right back into praise the Lord. And then that, that praise the Lord becomes the theme and the tone of our evangelism. Because evangelism is worship. Evangelism is extolling. When you are proclaiming the gospel to someone, you are extolling God. You're worshiping God. So our church vision ends with multiply. We want to multiply what's going on here because of the gospel among all the nations. Magnify, mature, multiply. But we need to make sure that we are multiplying a biblical, God-centered gospel from the doors of this church. And it must be centered on these two things. God's great love toward us and God's eternal faithfulness. And that's what we preach when we go out. And that's what we proclaim when we go out. And that's what we're multiplying is people who hear the gospel and they have at its core God's love and God's faithfulness. 
That's what we're seeking to multiply because in this psalm it says that's what creates praise from people. People praise when they experience God's love and God's faithfulness. And they can't help but praise. So what would it look like for you to have this heart? This drive. When you wake up in the morning and you say, today I want people to know and worship God. I'm going to give my life to that today. Why? Oh, because His love is great toward me. And I know His faithfulness endures forever. And when somebody asks you why you're praising God today, what do you say? Oh, sit down, I got to tell you. His love is great toward me. And no matter what happens, his faithfulness, his trustworthiness is forever. In August, our family got to go to a conference in Denver. And there was a guy there who had been working with Somalis for over 40 years. He lived in Somalia for a while. All over the Horn of Africa. And he said that the greatest joy of his life happened in 1996. When he sat for the first time in a room full of Somalis who were worshiping and extolling God in their own language and from songs that they had written about the steadfast love of God and his faithfulness. And he said it was the highest point of his life. Because that's what he'd given his life to. And he said that when he gets tired, he's still working with Somalis today. He said when he gets tired, he looks back to that moment in 1996 and he says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. And this old man had tears streaming down his face as he told us that story. Friends, missions exist because worship doesn't. And this psalm calls us into the depths of the desire for the nations. For all peoples, all tribes to worship God alone for his mighty, great love and his steadfast faithfulness. Let us be a people who know the loving kindness of our Lord so well and so deeply that it draws us into continuous praise and extolling of our Savior. Let us be a people who cannot wait Cannot wait to look somebody in the eyes and tell them what God has done for you. So how should we respond? Pray. Pray for the nations, brothers and sisters, in your daily time. Set a reminder to pray for these three billion people just like you around the world that have never heard of the steadfast love of God or his faithfulness. Give. Give of your time and finances and your gifts and your skills for the sake of his praise among the nations. Continue to give, just pour out. Why? Because God's great, overwhelming, prevailing love was toward you. And so what else do we do with our lives? And then go. When was the last time that you laid down your life completely before the Lord and asked him, Lord, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say. Whoever you want me to talk to, I'll talk to. Lord, my life is completely yours. 
We need that. We need a complete letting go of all things. Lord, it's yours. I want to be faithful. Help me to see where I'm going. Help me to to live full out for your glory. And Lord, help me to trust in your faithfulness. So I'm going to ask you if you just take two minutes. We're just going to pray silently in your seat. Yeah, how is the Lord, how is the word in his spirit working in you to respond to Psalm 117 today? Let's pray.